Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Our fourth value is that we celebrate diversity. Uh, We celebrate diversity as a church in the city. The most dangerous thing that we could ever do is to try to just, I am a, I'll be honest, a uh, young white man with a big family. If I wanted to do the easy thing, it would be to, I could very easily get young white people with with families to come. And that would be a, the, oh, an easy way to do that. But that is not the church of the city. Uh, I always believe that the church should always mirror the demographics of the area it's in. And the city has poverty, it has elderly, it has young, it has millennials, it has boomers, it has uh, Asians, it has Hispanics, right? We, we have them all. It has white, black, and so therefore in this room, in this place, in our home, in our community, rubbing shoulders with us, doing ministry with us, will be the same. And it will be in our homes, and we, it will be seen in, in all of our places, and all, all of our meetings, and all of our opportunities. We are not one group of people serving with outside hands. We are the kingdom of God, and that will look always vastly different than what it looks like when we look in the mirror. And that's something that we are celebrating. And that is something that I want to, to, to be seen again and again. I've always said that I want our church to meet and match the demographics of the town, the city, the neighborhoods that we live in. Another way that we say this is that we make community and unity an absolute priority. It's interesting, the definition of community, if you look at it, it says uh, people who share common things meeting together. And this is a hard thing is because as a community of God, like the commonality only needs to be God. And sometimes we get latched onto other things. Um, and, and that's often at the expense of closed doors and people not having a place, not feeling heard. I, I want someone to be able to look in that window and see themselves in here. And that's something we got to actively grow into. Um, and it takes time, and it's, it's uncomfortable because we naturally will always be with people who are like us. It's a psychological thing that children will gravitate to people. Trey lights up when she sees someone, my little daughter, six-year-old daughter. Uh, she lights up when she sees someone with blonde hair. And she's like all over Olivia because blonde and blonde. And, and it just connects, and that's our natural pull. But as a people of God, we cannot just sit there in the natural uh, we, we serve an extraordinary God, and so he longs to do the extraordinary through us. And so we'll make community an absolute priority. Um, John 17 sort of talks through this. Uh, I like to call this a precious Jesus uh, chapter. I, when I was in undergrad, I had to like memorize all of the chapters in John, and John 17 was just like precious Jesus. I don't know why, I just always called it precious Jesus. He prays this super long prayer in John 17, And it like starts, it's right before he dies on the cross, and it starts, and he's praying for his disciples, but then it gets bigger, and he prays for you and I. He prays for the people, literally, he's praying for the people that will hear the message from his disciples and believe in the future, Uh, which years upon years upon years upon years is now us. We are the people that he's praying for, and it's interesting what he prays. So it'll be up here, verses 20 to 23, he just says this, 
I do not ask for these things only, what he's prayed for his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given to me, I've given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I don't know if you caught how many times the word one was spoken in there, but it's a lot. I think the the tendency is that we like to be one with who it's really easy to be one with, but uh, he just says period one. He could have prayed that you have um, really awesome level of fitness. You know, he could have prayed that your faith would be really strong. He could have prayed that, uh, that we would be protected. He could have prayed that, that there would be comfort and safety in all of our, all the things that we do. He could have prayed very easily that uh, we would always get what we need. But it's interesting in this prayer, he just prayed that we'd be one, that we'd be unified. I'm going to tell you, we like to miniaturize this and be one with who we like to be one with and then overlook who we don't really want to be one with. <laughs> we like to, uh, to miniaturize this. And I wrote this down that, that he says we will all be one, and we miss something extraordinary about God's glory when we cap who we, who we will be one with. We miss something extraordinary. Have you ever met that friend who's very different from you? In fact, I married someone who's very different from me because there's something hard when you only get with people that are just like yourself you miss the beauty of the lord and i've always i want us to experience god's goodness by being united with people who are different in this city our ages i have um one of my closest friends is an 85 year old man and i'm going to tell you the man who i am today is better because of carl and jerry and their love and their their <laughs> sassiness and their bluntness uh, but his life and we forsake that when we try to be one with just ourselves. We miss something extraordinary about God's glory when we cap it. I don't think G- Jesus was, was thinking to be one with the people that we naturally fit in or the people that we are very easily, uh, we easily like. No, as he's looking forward, he sees a gospel taking on nations. He sees people who come from different backgrounds as, as Jesus knows what he's doing on the cross, he knows that what's going to happen is it's going to spread outside of Judaism. It's going to reach people who, who have pagan backgrounds, who believe in all these gods, who have sacrificed their, their family members and have this whole background of pain and brokenness. And he also knew that there would be a, a group of people meshed together, that the only way unity could be found is through him. And we sometimes like to enter into a place, forsake all the differences, and just say, let's just, um, let's just be there. But we have to remember, it's the history that those people had, us, we had. It's who Carl is. It's who you guys are, that what you bring to the table is so needed. And we need to be unified. We miss something extraordinary when we don't. I wrote this down, that heaven will be full of nations. But on earth, those nations, their togetherness, showcase God through their unity. And that's what I want to be. Kansas City is full of nations, but we will showcase it through our unity. 
But I've said this in the, in the context of sin, of culture, of our time, but we will always go to what we know. Another way to say it is that our experience, our personal experiences will always dictate our direction. And we, Kate and I have formed this, I want this to be a family where people are sitting at a table. Have you ever sat at a table uh, with people uh, who are different than you and maybe even as easy as uh, the left-handers? Anyone? Uh, anyone ate with a person who's left-handed and as you're trying to eat, they're just like hitting you? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> um, they, they use a different arm than you. I got to tell you, sometimes we walk into a place and it gets really uncomfortable because there's different backgrounds. You come into this place with maybe past abuse. Like, let's be honest. You come into this place and you, you have a story, a history of your mom walking out on you. Uh, I have a history of my mom dying. Uh, you may have a history of, of every male that you know is very untrustworthy. Uh, from your background, maybe uh, one of, of uh, a lot of financial margin and you watch your parents use that in very wrong ways uh, from your background maybe the opposite where there's no finances and you watched as you you saw your parents try to act like it was good and we come into this place and we have a tendency that we don't want to discuss that which we came from but actually it's when we bring that to the table that you discover so much more i want to be a church that celebrates diversity that, that celebrates the differences in us because what you have is very needed for me. And so when we're at that table, we have a couple things. One, we like to try to overlook the differences of them and keep quiet about it. Um, that's like the Thanksgiving where people are uh, arguing about religion. You're like, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to deal with all these differences. They're arguing about politics. You throw in the word Trump and then there's this fire happening. I'm out. And, and, but we do that often in, in Christianity or the other extreme. We look into it and we think that the differences is excluding to us. We don't have a place here. No one's like me. Or they don't fit here. Can I tell you here at Glory Church, I never want to make decisions based on my experience alone because our experience will always dictate my direction what I know is where I will go. My experience will always dictate where I go to. Your experience will always dictate that. Like how you perceive men are based on your experience often. And I'm going to tell you, as we engage and celebrate the diversity in this room, we always cannot be led by our experience alone. But we always have to seek, get our lead from heaven. I wrote this here at Glory Church. I want to get my lead from heaven. I want to, that there's a mixture of my experience that I bring to the table, but at the end of the day, what we need is a leader. And that leader is not just me. Like what we need is a, is a father, and he's there. He's with us. And so you may eat differently than I, you may wear different clothes than I, you may have a different background than I, you may have a different color of skin than I, you may operate and view things differently, you may have a whole host of age that is way different than me, but when we come to this table, I need that, and I need your whole experience, but I also want to be led together somewhere, not just by our own experience, but together somewhere more. So I have something. I want to pause. Um, I have this passage in Micah that's sort of a, uh, 
a like really beautiful piece, um, a picture of what's to come. But I just want to talk first about our tendencies uh, when we get into a room. Um, so, but there's also a little bit of, of disconnect. Uh, I'm going to just, let's everyone just stand up real quick. I'm just going to challenge you with something. So even in this room, like, look, this is the funniest thing. Even in this room, there's differences in height. That's a, that's a very clear, right? Differences in height. And we have the opportunity, but it's really funny. So we're talking about differences and honoring them. Uh, we have the opportunity to, to be very weird about our differences. You could sit down. They become sources of insecurity. They become sources of, uh, you know, the, the tallest one in the room no longer wants to be tall, right? You probably had that happen when you were growing up. The shortest one in the room wishes they were tall. The one who has straight hair wishes they had curly. The one who uh, you wish you could change the, the, the color of your skin, the, dent, the tint of your skin. You wish you could change a few different pe- parts of your body. You wish you were a little skinnier, a little wider, whatever, uh, a little stronger. All of the, those kind of things we always want. And so anytime we walk into an area, we have these already bent expectations of ourself that will automatically hurt us when we sit at the table if we only allow ourselves to be led by them. We're about to get into something, uh, some scripture here, and I would love you guys to see it. In fact, I'm going to read it aloud, but I would love for you to read it because this is a really cool, beautiful picture of what I want Glory Church to be. It says, it shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established on the highest mountain and it will be lifted above all others. And people will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house and the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. It says, for out of that, his word will come. Out of that, his word will come from the, Lord, from the Lord to Jerusalem, and he shall judge between many peoples, and he shall decide disputes of the strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up their sword against other nations, neither will they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the people walk in the name of it's God, but we will walk in the name of our God. He says this, has this picture that in the later days there will be a mountain, a, a city on a hill will be God's, God's kingdom, his place, and there all the nations will stream to it. I just have a question. What direction do typical streams go? Down. Like, let's, let's just be honest. If I, if I were to pour from an incline, water would go down. The beauty of this passage is that streams are flowing up to it. Nations are flowing up to it. I've never realized the beauty of the Old Testament of how many times it uses the word nations will flow into the kingdom of God. We do ourselves a huge dishonor when we don't get around nations when we don't get around people of different backgrounds, of different communities, because the beauty of the heavens is that there will be nations streamed to it. But this is very anti-cultural even, because it's not our doing. I'm going to tell you a huge tendency for myself is to try to make things attractive, that people will come to them because it's 
attractive or spectacular or fun or energetic. But the beauty of this is that people are streaming to it because it is there. And there's this divine gravitation for people of all nations to go here. And I got to tell you, it's uncommon and it doesn't make sense, but I want Glory Church to be a place where people of all nations want in on this, not because we are calling out one culture or one way to do things, but because there it is a house where the Lord is teaching. And people are saying, as I said, you want to go to that first slide there, saying, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of God, that he may teach us his ways. We cannot do it on our own. And that's what they want. That's what they call. That's what they long for. I'm going to tell you, water doesn't flow upstream. And people don't naturally go to church. (laughs) Think about it. Like, you don't naturally go to church. But when you see a place of hope, a place of authenticity, a place of vulnerability, a place where everyone has a seat, when you go to a place and you feel welcomed, that pulls you in a way very, very divine. When you walk into a place that typically you wouldn't fit in, but because God's people are there, you do, That is unnatural. But that's the church that I want to be in. That's the church that I want this to be. But I got to tell you, often other voices come in. Um, I want to be a church that celebrates diversity and have a voice of celebration means that when you're in a room, you start noticing the differences and celebrating it, honoring it, blessing it, praising the differences. But there's other voices that come in. Have you ever had the voice of bias hurt what you were trying to do in a relationship? The voice of bias hurt? The voice of condemnation or judgment? How many of you have left a church because you felt condemned? Or your friends left a church because they felt condemned? Uh, How many times have you left uh, a place because there was slander or or dissension or uh, uncomfortability because people were just all the same and you did not fit the mold, right? Often at places, other voices are at work, but I want to be a voice of celebration, a voice of honor, a voice uh, to have a voice that is constantly praising God that he is doing this for us, in us, togetherness, unity. But I have to tell you, in our modern church, the voice of celebration is dramatically halted by the voice of defensiveness. The voice of celebration is often dramatically halted by the voice of defensiveness. Uh, Have you guys ever um, been in a conversation with someone and they instantly get defensive and you don't really know what to do or how to go or or how to act or how to go forward? I'm going to tell you, we are quick to defend. And as a people of God, this is not our way. This is not our opportunity. This is the world says, I am my defense. I got to be honest. We say this often, I am my defense. I am my defense. We are very quick to believe that where defense is our self, our strength, our power, our might, our good, our our, uh, achievements, our defense. And we often trust ourselves more than we trust other people. I wrote this down. And so, in being the defenders of ourselves, we like to create walls between us and other people, barriers to keep us safe. 
We like to keep things about our past hidden. We like to keep things unspoken. We don't like to talk about hard things with certain people. We are our defense. We put on masks. Some, have you ever met the person who is just really hardened or angry or, or they seem like they can just take on everything? Often that's the defense. They are their defense. Or the little girl that you serve with or that you've had, um, that you've seen who acts like she can handle it all. It's a defense. We were all there, and you remember the kid on the playground who pushed you down, and they were just so strong, no one else got pushed down? Okay, cool. Um, uh, it's a defense. The one that's a, that humors everyone, that works the crowd, uh, a defense. We are our defender. We often arm ourselves with comebacks, prepare for retaliations. We form white lies. We make sure everyone else sees our pudge before, we, uh, before they say it uh, by us claiming it. Uh, we don't want anyone else to notice it first. We want to be the first ones to joke about it. Or uh, we, we are our defense. Anytime someone says something negative, we jump to defend. We arm ourselves with the me- mechanisms like denial, substance abuse, all of those, we are our defense. But can I tell you, in the kingdom of the world, it is our right to defend ourselves, right? In the kingdom of the world. But in God's kingdom, we've been made right by his defense. And there's a very big difference. Can I tell you that what the enemy has done in American churches is to hurt people by other people protecting themselves. Like, think about it. How many churches have split because people have got defensive? Or how many people have left the church because someone asked a question that was hard and then a defense happened? And then the other person withdrew because that's their defense. And instead of talking through this, defensiveness happens and it tears us apart. I'm going to tell you, even in the, the, the race conversation, I have, I've heard so many people learn, as a white man, I have, I have rights that I was born into that I can quickly defend and say, but I'm not racist. But the fact is that I was born into a system that was. And so our natural tendency is, as white people, to defend that claim that we are not prejudiced, that we aren't blah, 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 that we are not our ancestors, all of that. But on the other end, we are so quick to defend ourselves without hearing or learning or sharing anywhere. Defensiveness will always tear us apart. And as a church that we're going to celebrate diversity, we cannot be defenders of ourselves. It may be your right to defend yourself in the world sense, but what separates us from the world is that we have a God who is the defender. And that's what this whole passage is about, is that there will be a kingdom on a mountain that will be safe, that will be there, and what's going to happen is all the nations are flowing to it because God is speaking and directing them. And what I love, look back at the text, it says, he will judge between the people and decide disputes among the, the nations and I love this. The people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears will be beaten into pruning hooks. Now I just want to pause. What is a sword for? Protection, killing, death, war. Swords are naturally for 
uh, to show hierarchy. The person with the sword is the one with the power, right? The person with the spear can kill you. The, these, these articles are very much used, these tools are used for defense, for, uh, for arming yourself, for protection. We get it. But I think we can quickly overlook what happens when these people get an encounter with God. They change the tools. I'm going to tell you a lot of our churches do not change the tools at which we always try to defend ourselves with. Your quick wit that you always try to defend yourself with, but no one ever can know what's really going on in your heart because you always attack any time or you go to humor. These things that we like to use that that hide ourselves, that are defensive of ourselves, what happens in the kingdom is that God longs for them to be transformed, to be changed. From a sword to a plowshare. Do you know what a plowshare is? It's a sharp iron blade attached to the beam of a plow, and it's used for digging and cultivating soil. So something that would defend yourself is now tending soil so that fruit can be produced for many. And I, gotta, I want Glory Church to be a place where there is no defense spoken before we pause and realize that there is soil to be tended. Because at the table, think of how hardened people are already. People will walk into our doors or decide never to walk into the doors because they're hardened. The only way they will not be hardened is because they see people not holding swords, but plowshares. That we aren't quick wit or that we aren't uh, defending ourselves, but we're people who constantly speak praises and honor and they see unity at display they see in in our kingdom the lord is doing a work because we're tending the soil not trying to fight his battles for him right there's a huge difference that means sometimes we just gotta i I wish the generation uh that that loves just facebook attacking would realize like that's not doing anything uh we we are so quick to defense, but very slow to tending. One is celebrating diversity and and creating a place of unity. The other is just isolating people, hurting people, burning bridges. I want to be a church that is not defensive. But also there's this spear that's being turned into a pruning hook. Do you know what a pruning hook is? It's a vine knife, an iron tool used to prune the harvesting of crops. We are quick to prod people, to push people, to hurt, to defend ourselves. But what God is calling us to do is to grow into people who will prune. And that is different. It's a little harder, but that's based on a relationship that's happening. We are, as as iron sharpens iron, or one man sharpens another, that's this imagery of real companionship. Instead of defending against each other, these nations that are coming against each other because they believe differently, they have different backgrounds, Uh, one always believed in Jesus and did the right thing, the other never did, and now they just came in. All these nations are fighting. But the beauty of the kingdom is that people will transform what used to hate, what used to hurt, what used to poke, what used to prod, what used to defend, and they will be changed into things that are the betterment for all. And we often don't do that. The worst thing we can do for Glory Church is to show up on our own. I'm going to say that again. 
the worst thing that we can do for Glory Church, for, for church in general, whatever church you decide to go to, is to show up on your own and do it on your own. Because the beauty of the kingdom is that you have a tool in your hand that is called to prune, or to prune, and <laughs> prune, uh, to call to prune, and one that is called to cultivate. And we miss out. We like to sit in the table, realize our differences, and keep quiet, or sit in the table, realize our differences, and leave. And we got to stop. We are to be people that learn from each other, that celebrate each other, that honor one another, that say, you have something that I need. Because the beautiful thing is that the life that Carl has given me, the life that, that, that people who are different than me give to us, is they have a whole host of experience, of backgrounds, of things that God has used that used to be defense mechanisms, but now are used to, 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 to turn the soil in my own life. I mean, how many of you have been changed by people who are different? In a powerful way. That things can be changed from <laughs> swords to things that soften your own heart where God grows. I want to be that kind of place. I need people who are different than me. We need people who are different than us. And we need to be there for people who are different. I'm going to tell you, God longs for our defenses to be molded into tools that cultivate life. The things that you use to protect yourself are often the things that God wants to use to cultivate someone else's life, the things that I used to protect myself. Um, I used to want to protect myself from um, my past. I didn't want people to know the darkness that I, I, had, I had done, the, the things of my, my past. That I, protection was also found in mourning. Uh, and the, my, wife, my wife, my mom dying, and then what that does to now Kate and I as we, as we experience life together, uh, what quickly can happen is I can become defensive. But what God longs to do is to use those things as we share them in vulnerability, as we be honest to them, as we use them as, as tools for his kingdom, they become cultivating tools. That it cultivates new life in my marriage, it cultiva cultivates new life in the people that I minister to because now I'm vulnerable, real, authentic. Defensive people are hard to get to know. Defensive people makes it look like the world sees Christianity as, as people who are unattainable, have unattainable lives, unattainable faith, unattainable strength, when really it's just a defense that we put on while we go cry in our room. It's a defense that we put on while we're really shaking in fear and faith, in our lack of faith. And so as people, I want to always put down our defenses. If we're going to be a real community, then defenses will have to be laid down over and over in these walls. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.